0: Howdy folks, this is Dan Gross and welcome to Extended Harmony for Outside In Music. Outside In Music is a record label and a media company that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website, outsideinmusic.com, where you can see our artists and their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Extended Harmony, what you're listening to right now, is a monthly podcast that features musicians in the jazz, blues, and soul umbrella who create original music. We discuss their lives, influences, and any advice they'd like to pass along. Joining us today is Swiss trombonist Samuel Blazer. In addition to being the first European guest and the first trombonist here on Extended Harmony, Samuel is a great player and composer who is innovative and unique in the jazz world, especially in free and improvisational jazz. We're going to talk about his early life and influences, his incredible sound on the instrument, his improvisation, his tour with Mark Ducre and Peter Brune, which will have wrapped up by the time this episode airs, and of course, any advice he wants to pass along. Thanks so much for tuning in, and please enjoy this episode of Extended Harmony. Samuel, thanks so much for joining me today. really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> so we alluded to this in the intro. You are actually the first European-born guest I have had on the show, and I also believe you were the first trombonist. And this is usually the part in in an interview where I give the old college try on your hometown, but I'm going to go ahead and not do that because I I don't want to <laughs> me- I don't want to mess it up too much in in your presence. But why don't you tell us where you're from, Samuel?
1: Well, I'm from. Um a little town called uh, La Chaux-de-Fonds located in Switzerland. And I grew up there and I was raised there. I went to the, uh, um, to the college there and then uh, studied trombone there. Well, I I did everything there basically before uh, flying to, (laughs) before flying to to Paris and then New York later. Yeah.
0: Right. And right now you are, you are based in Berlin. Is that correct? That's where your home base is nowadays.
1: That's, Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved there. We, I said, because uh, we, uh, myself and my wife
2: mm-hmm. moved
1: there uh, in 2009. Yeah. Got it. Uh, let's Right cir- after New York. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's right. You needed a little break from the fast-paced lifestyle, I guess. So <laughs> let's circle right. let's circle around to, to growing up um, in this small uh, town in Switzerland. Uh, can you just sort of give us an idea of what uh, the musical culture was like in, in the place you grew up? I mean, w- was there a lot of, of jazz around? What kind of... W- tell us about that.
1: Well, my city is very small. It's a 40,000... There are 40,000 people living there, but uh, the uh, the uh, culture is very important. Um, it's also a, a working-class uh, town. Hmm. um um their focus is on uh watches <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> uh it's a little town located in the mountains uh so actually it was um mainly farmers uh and uh, during winter time they were uh, building watches of course, mm. so that was their hobby for winter time so it's a it's a town known for for the uh, great uh watches and um before even having running water in uh, the uh, 19th century wow. they built uh a theater so they mm. they they wanted to to become like a little paris and they built a theater and an amazing musical called the uh, la salle de la musique where so many uh artists recorded uh, album like Keith Jarrett and Pierre Lemar it's an amazing room uh with a fantastic acoustic and mm. uh nobody knows nobody knows how they <laughs> built it but anyway so the culture is very important there and i had the chance to um, to have a local conservatory with uh with a high um dynamism you say that mm-hmm. uh so uh, the, the the core of teachers were very flexible and uh they they played baroque music classical music and jazz so all the styles were mixed in that conservatory so i had the chance to to play all kind of music at a very early stage uh, which which was very fortunate for such a little town and um that's basically how i got into music
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and um it, you, so. it, it's an
0: amazing thing growing up with, with all of these influences. I think this is such a cool common theme I get to explore on this show is that even though I have jazz musicians and the, the occasional something a little bit outside, but close enough, everyone says they grew up with a lot of different things, but pretty much everyone has settled on playing jazz. So what was it about jazz that really drew you in and, and got you into playing jazz and taking it seriously and wanting to pursue that?
1: Well, first I wanted to start trombone when I was two years old, which is wow. pretty early.
0: That's very early. And
1: uh, <laughs> but I couldn't express myself at that time because my language was uh, probably very limited. Hmm. So uh, I only started to play trombone at age nine. But uh, from a in my family, we used to listen to a lot of uh, different kind of music, of course, but. Uh, Ray Charles was always there, Louis Armstrong, Hmm. and uh, I mean, that was the two cassettes we had. So we were listening to that music all the time, and uh, my mom was, um, I mean, she's still uh, uh, a huge fan of uh, jazz, and uh, it has always always been my dream to, to play that music. So when I started trombone, the first tune I played was Blue Moon,
2: yeah. and
1: uh, <laughs> so so jazz has always been um, a style that I wanted to perform. Although I was um, pushed to uh, finish my classical stu- studies because, um, well, everybody thought that uh, classical music give uh, uh, great uh, strength and basic uh to play the instruments hmm. and um which i didn't want to do at that time i i wanted to study jazz uh but um today i'm very happy that i uh followed the uh, advice of my teachers and and families and uh, family sorry and uh yeah so that's uh, that's a little bit of the story with the jazz and uh, in the local conservatory where i studied mm-hmm. um they were so um well uh, keen to play jazz so they they put a little big band together for students so uh, we were like I was 13 years old and we were starting playing the music of Count Basie and yeah. Duke Ellington and uh, and that's where I blew my first solos basically
0: oh that's amazing and, uh,
1: big band has been my jazz school huh. basically Right, so clearing, you've you've yeah, been able to have yeah.
0: the opportunity to to play a lot, and something you said, which is something I definitely wanted to touch on, um, by playing classical, you you said it, it gave you the the foundation and good technique, and I think mm-hmm. one of the things that I think separates you and I I don't I, I will say for other trombonists is the the clarity and the sound, and some of my favorite trombonists I know trombonists for. For everyone, it, it's 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 J.J. Johnson. He is the... Of course. Of, right. He, the way he, he is so clear, his sound is amazing. A- and for you, what do you attribute to... like? What was your sound model that you combined with... Because classical trombone playing and jazz playing, while they say, share the same fundament, fundamentals, it's obviously different. But when you were trying to cultivate totally. you mm-hmm. your own sound, wh- what sound model did you have in mind?
1: Huh, that's a good question because I, I'm not really sure today because uh, what I'm trying to reach uh, because I'm still working on it every day mm-hmm. uh, is trying to get a richer tone, a little dark uh, mm. with lots of clarity and uh, good articulation but I mean, D J, of course, was a, he was a huge influence on my uh, playing. It's one of the first drum, jazz trombonists mm-hmm. I listened to. Um, so, he, and he had a big sound, a really big sound, with a, a really clear tonguing, single tonguing. He mm-hmm. was not doubling or doodling, which is quite impressive when you listen to uh, his uh, his lines. Uh, yeah, but um. Lately, I went to to study with uh, the uh, the trombone player at the Berlin Philharmonic, and I, <laughs> I took a few classes because I wanted to put things together. You know, uh-huh. sometimes when you when you uh, improvise too much, and you you tend to pay less attention to uh, the uh, the basics, mm-hmm. so you tend to lose a little bit control of the instrument. So I thought, okay, it was a good idea to to go get things back together. Mm-hmm. And when I uh studied with him I realized that oh well I, I lost so much. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> My sound was like so small and and the, the, the control over the instrument was was very little. So mm-hmm. well I'm trying to get that back. I I'm not trying to get a classical sound, but I, I like the uh I, I like having like a big tone, you know, like mm-hmm. a very fat and um rich um, I, I, I'm loving that, but I, I don't have any uh, specific reference today. I must say,
0: right. And and one thing, I, it's it's almost, it's almost so obvious, but it's it's not even, it it doesn't feel like it's discussed. So many of the the great players we've talked about, and one of my kind of under the radar favorites was Al Gray, the lead trombonist with the Count Basie yeah. band for mm. a really Ooh, long time. oh, he was great. Yeah, oh, he was great. And but it, it's so obvious that you play a trombone with an F trigger and that, that really, in, in addition to changing your facility, that really darkens and opens up the sound as well, uh, and I, I know you're well, sponsored also by... Well, I'm trying to, to play yeah,
1: the entire register of the, of the horn. so mm-hmm. I'm trying to play up register and very low register, which very few people, uh, maybe none actually, I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say none, but... All the trombone players I'm listening today—they—they they are not using a lot of range of their instrument,
2: hmm.
1: although it's—it's it's available. Right. So what I'm trying to do now is like trying to develop lines in the in the lower register because I think it's nice, and that's mm-hmm. also where I can um, get through. You know, like in, in example for with a trio with Mark and Peter, sometimes the the volume is very high, so I need to find ways where I, my horn can come through. Even though uh, both of them are playing louder, and I and I realized that instead of like burning my lips in the <laughs> upper register and screaming, yeah. I could also develop lines in the lower register mm. where the guitar is not uh, present actually, and the drums either. So mm. it's actually interesting to uh, develop lines there, uh, uh, so you can explore new landscapes.
0: Yeah, that's a great transition, it, absolutely, into, into something else I wanted to chat about. So you mentioned your trio with Mark and Peter, so Samuel's been touring with this trio for a long time, and a, as we're taping this, ease on the back end of this tour, and by the time this episode's air, episode airs, he'll be done taking some time off from it, but the trio is Peter Brun on drums and Mark Ducre on guitar. So that's an interesting lineup, first of all, and I, I want to unpack that um, in, in a little bit, but because you gave me such a great springboard... Th- The instrumentation is unusual, but also having a trombone in this free jazz setting, at least something that I I see, doesn't happen a lot. You know, you usually see something with a trumpet or a saxophone or something you might... Uh, assume or think that has more facility because it uh th- there's valves or keys so mm-hmm. for you uh, you've you've played in big bands you did the hard bob thing for a while what what drew you to playing in this instrumentation you touched on it a little bit what does some things that the trombone does well in this sort of free setting compared to other horns
1: well Mark and I used to play, I mean, he used to be part of my quartet for uh, a couple of years. And that was a very, uh, I mean, classic quartet. I mean, it's not classic because uh, one would think that a classic quartet would be piano, bass and drums and uh, and uh, horn mm-hmm. uh, that is a leader. But in that case, uh, Mark was on guitar. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> we started touring duets a little more and uh, we uh, re- realized that we were much freer to play to interact uh, as a duet uh, opposed, as opposed to a uh, playing quartet and so we thought that maybe adding a third element to that duo, duo would, would, would complete the, um, the, the 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 group actually so mm. we thought about adding a drummer and uh, Mark used to used to perform a lot with a Danish uh, drummer Peter Brun. Mm. and that's how we started. We, but we didn't really think about oh, uh, we will miss a bass player or mm. or oh God, <laughs> he's yeah. gonna be hard or I don't know. It, it was just a uh, you know like pu- putting together people that could uh, fit together as mm. well, and um, it's much more interesting than uh, playing quartet. I must I must say because. <laughs> Uh, because the bass is uh, Unpresent And mm-hmm. that we can uh, Cover All the three of us That part Right And um, It's pretty It's pretty interesting It's like chamber music A little bit Yeah it's it, Although we can rock Sometimes <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I can personally Attest to that And, and th- that also Ties into Something else I wanted to chat about In this Free Setting What is the ratio When you guys are playing Versus Uh how much of the music do you compose? Obviously, it's not through composed music, but how much of it do you compose versus improvise when you're on the bandstand?
1: 78.7%. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I deserve that answer, no, so seriously, thank you. Uh, it's, the music is always, um, I mean, of course, we have charts and there yeah. are melodies and rhythms and harmonies sometimes. And uh, we are, we know where we need to land, and we we know where we are departing, and we mm. know. Uh, <clears throat> so the music is always is always present in in the in the free playing. So it's not free actually. There are um, there are rules uh, <laughs> that we are following uh, over the years, uh, which is funny because uh, we are like um, sometimes I'm playing signs, which uh, the the, mm-hmm. the two others are hearing and then which which led us uh into a tune and so and so on it's it's a game actually it's a a real game
0: you're just up there having fun
1: yeah and we we need to to know the music we are playing throughout the set so we have like maybe maybe we have 30 tunes now uh, over the six years we've been playing together so uh you know there is enough material for us to um to go through and uh, yeah of course we are improvising a lot because this is uh, this is fun and we can create moods mm. but but over the years the moods are getting similar because uh, we are developing a, a common vocabulary mm. so for the for the people that are listening to the trio for the first time it might sound totally free actually mm. but uh, it's actually not so free, <laughs> if I may say. Uh, well, I'm glad, I'm
0: glad you set the record straight. I appreciate that. And the other, th- so I think what strikes me about hearing you talk about this and what I, I was going to ask, and I mean, I still can, but I had this conception of you three, and you, you've you talked about the range of the trombone and all the ability uh-huh. that gives you to play in this setting, and then Peter Bruhn's pre- creativity, and then... All of the sounds that Mark can make on his guitar and the control he yeah. has. So tell us about recording an album with these guys because you'd been touring for a while before you yeah. made this album. So can you take us behind the scenes with this album?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing much behind the scenes because it's a live recording uh, from, yes. a, uh, <laughs> right. from a. Right. We, but we've been, actually, we've been. Playing like a hundred and twenty or thirty shows oh all the last uh, last six years, so that's quite a lot for yeah. a uh, for a band today, I think. And uh, we we've been recording so many shows, and so many of them are in my computer. Uh, so um, and it, it, I was never really uh, uh, sure to release something because I thought, mm-hmm. wow, it's quite exciting. We are keeping this band on the road. Yeah. and we have no recordings everybody else around us is like re- releasing one one album per six months yeah. or something like that and we've been touring and they have a hard time to tour so i thought wow this is really exciting we can keep the, the band on the road no recording <laughs> and uh it's super exciting because people have to come listen to us if they want to to listen to the music and i thought that was a great concept hmm. Uh, but then we played that festival and uh, Hathat came to me and said, hey, I read the review and I, I have the recording. I would love to release it. And I said, oh, of course, do mm-hmm. it. But it, it was a strange recording because I broke, I broke a rib three days before. Oh, with my a bike goodness. accident. So that <laughs> was a painful concert. I was on the pills. But, I mean, the music <laughs> is, uh, is happening. It's, it's a capture of uh, a moment. There we go. see so, that uh, that is my. We have to take the album as EDS.
0: Yeah, that is my exact philosophy when I'm doing any recording. It's just you have to capture the moment. We actually, uh, with uh, the radio station I'm at, Jazz ninety point one, we did an interview with uh, Eric Alexander, one of the. Funniest people I've ever met. Great saxophonist too. He was talking about he played the most recent record and all this stuff he was going through. But sometimes, oh yeah, sometimes that happens. You know, you you break a rib and you know, you, the what what ends up happening comes out pretty well. I actually do want to get your thoughts about something. This is we're going off script a bit, but something you said sparked something that I I think you'd have some good thoughts on. Is that everyone is streaming now. Everything is so portable. You can get whatever you want right there. And I think that is such what you said is such an interesting opposite viewpoint to what a lot of people have. You know, it's a cool idea that people have to come and see our shows to hear us. So I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I would just I'd love to have a conversation with you about how you feel about all of this I mean, when you mentioned, I mean, you've recorded a dozen albums yourself, so it's, it's not like you're immune to your music just being out there. But I'm just curious on, on your thoughts on this. What do you think is happening to live music now that recorded music is so accessible?
1: it's getting harder yeah well yeah <laughs> it's not getting easier <laughs> uh, so, so the the record industry is like uh falling down i mean we, we know that yeah and it's not getting easier to play so because there are so many so many great musicians out there trying to to bring their band on the road and everybody's like uh yeah try hitting the promoters and it's harder for them to 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 promote something and uh, people are having less curiosity about the music and uh, mm. i mean and uh, and the outer the music is right uh, the more difficult it is to um to uh to get out there so i mean but i mean everybody's been complaining the last few years and uh, for me it's been it's been great <laughs> Well, i'm glad to hear that
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean i'm not i'm really not complaining i'm i'm, I'm playing a ton with my my projects and um uh, I mean of course uh, I realized at a very early age that no one wanted to uh, to actually get a trombone in the band because I mean no, no nobody's interested in the trombone except a few guys. Um, my producer with whom I'm working a lot, Robert Chaden, told me that he heard a interview of Jimmy Nepper, and the guy said, so what was good playing with uh, Charles Mingus and he said well the uh, the good thing is he was hiring trombones. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the only good thing about it. <laughs> and he's oh. so he's so right. I mean, and I realized at the very early, uh, early age that if I want, I wanted to play and wanted to be promoted and I had to put my things together. So
2: hmm.
1: I started very early to put my quartet together and uh, perform in Switzerland everywhere. And, uh, you know, and so on. So, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, no, that's
0: great. So why do you think so few people are interested in the trombone? What, what, what's with that? Because I'm a trombonist myself, and I'm not sure I get it.
1: I'm not sure. I think, you know, I still hear some uh, remarks. Like uh, In November, we played um, with my quartet, Ross Martin, Master Camaguchi, and Jerry Hemingway in a, in a French festival in Strasbourg. Hmm. And right after us, Dave Liebman was playing uh,
2: mm-hmm. with uh,
1: some French. Anyway, we... I was very happy about our gig. And uh, Ross Lossing, a few weeks later, sees uh, Dave Lindman at the uh, deer Head Inn yep. and uh, Dave says, hey, you should better watch what. Watch out with a trombone, man. So <laughs> everybody has that sense of like the trombone is kind of a, I don't know, lame instrument or slow. When I performed with uh, Paul Motion, his reaction was the same thing. He said, uh, I didn't know a trombone could play like that. <laughs> so i don't know there are a lot of um prejudices
0: oh my god so and of course yeah
1: i cannot play like a saxophone player i I have to find other ways i mean there are a few trombone players out there that can play super fast but i I don't see the point either because (laughs) the trombone should be melodic and should be uh, sliding we have a slide so right why not keeping the um the nature of the instrument. But, I mean, I don't know. That, so that's probably why a lot of people have uh, uh, too many bad ideas about the instrument, like playing glissandos and growling, and that's it.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you know what? Here, right now, Samuel, you and I are going to work together, and this is step number one to get other people to appreciate the trombone. And, by the way, the guy who oh, runs, yeah, <laughs> runs outside End music, Nick Finzer, is a trombonist as well, so he'll, he'll get a kick out of this.
1: But, but you know, it's interesting because... Um, I'm I'm reading a lot of things about this uh, Jamaican trombone player uh, right now, Don Drummond, hmm. who uh, was fairly a star. He was a star in Jamaica. He 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 died in late '60s, hmm.
2: and
1: uh, the I realized that the, in this in that music, ska and reggae, hmm. uh, the trombone was a leader actually, hmm. and that's hmm. one of the only music where the trombone is in front. So it's in, you know there are a few styles where the the trombone can be uh, can be a, a singer
0: can <laughs> right can be can be fully appreciated. Uh, this would not be an episode of Extended Harmony if we didn't do a little promotion for our guest on this whirlwind tour he did. It was 25 dates in an extremely concentrated period. Uh, you had a little chance to hit the studio with your quartet. You mentioned the Cats before. Take the reins, man. Tell us about this upcoming project
1: you mean the early in the morning yes sir then well it's it's getting old because uh, <laughs> things are taking a lot of time yeah <laughs> <laughs> but well i mean it's uh, my uh, i recorded a um a new album uh well when was it like last january uh, i have you know like beside like playing with my trio i have like uh many other projects and uh, one of them is collaborating with that producer in New York called uh, Robert Sadin, with whom I, I'm i working very closely. And um, so that's our third collaboration. The first one was uh, with uh, Paul Motion, and the second one was a tribute to Jimmy Dufresne
2: mm-hmm. that
1: came out uh, two, three years ago, uh, Spring Rain. And now the new one is called Early in the Morning and it's a tribute to the blues. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to find ways where the, the, the trombone can be a little bit more solicited and I thought that the blues was a great example. And so on this new album, I have uh, Russ Lasting on piano, uh, Masa Kamaguchi on, on bass, Jerry Hemingway on drums and we have two guests, Oliver Lake on alto sax and Wallace Ronnie on trumpets. So um and it's a really exciting uh album with a lot of um blues influences, Led Belly, Sam Collins, and uh but it's all re- revisited um in with my source well, if, if I may say.
0: <laughs> you may and we're very much looking forward to that project. <laughs> well, we're at the l- last part of this interview. We got two more items to check off the list here. The first one, Samuel. All right. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists?
1: Mm, well uh, if it's a young trombone player just yep. <laughs> just keep keep, uh, keep keep playing the trombone as it is. <laughs> there. Do, do not try to play the horn like if it was a trumpet or a saxophone. That's a
0: great <laughs> that's a great piece of advice. We
1: we shouldn't be afraid of our slide and and tone and and stuff. Yeah.
0: We need to embrace it. And the last thing one thing that makes extended harmony cool is that you get to hear the artist talk and then right afterwards you get to hear the artist play i would love to hear a track off of the latest album with the samuel blazer trio that's with peter brun and mark Ducre. so that one just came out live album recorded with his trio samuel is there any track you'd like us to play off that
1: well i think uh, we should play jukebox sounds it's great a track number four um, number three i think or Remember
0: now. We'll we'll get it in post. It's all right. Samuel, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate it too. Thank you.
3: (laughs)
2: we <laughs> mm mm-hmm.